everyone. This is the Autolog Forum. It's uh, February 2nd, year 2006, and today we have the honor of inviting uh, Dr. Nicola Guarino from uh, the CNR Institute for Cognitive Sciences and Technology in Trento, Italy, to speak to us. Uh, Dr. Guarino's talk will be Making Basic Ontological Choices, the Doce Experience. Uh, I also have the honor of having uh, one of our co-conveners, Dr. Leo Oberst from MITRE, to introduce our invited speaker. So, uh, Leo. Uh, I'd like you all to welcome uh, Dr. Nicola Guarino. Uh, Dr. Guarino is a senior research scientist at the uh, Institute of Cognitive Sciences and Technologies of the Italian National Research Council. He leads the Laboratory for Applied Ontology in uh, Trento, Italy. Uh, he obtained his uh, degrees uh, in electrical engineering uh, and uh, with a thesis on biomedical engineering and has shifted over the years to uh, fr from data acquisition and monitoring uh, 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 based on uh, his electrical engineering background to the area of knowledge representation, in particular uh, in uh, uh, philosophical, formal, ont ontological um, use in ontological engineering. He's been working on the foundations of uh, knowledge representation, conceptual modeling now for more than 20 years. Uh, playing a, a, a very strong leading role in developing an interdisciplinary approach uh, to um, ontological engineering that really combines computer, computer science, philosophy, linguistics, and uses logic uh, as the uh, unifying paradigm. He, uh, he, you may also know him as uh, one of the main, main uh, contributors to the Dolce uh, Upper Ontology, which is what he's going to talk about uh, shortly. Uh, and he, finally, he's the editor-in-chief, uh, along with Mark Mewson, of the new uh, Journal of Applied Ontology. Uh, and he's uh, been uh, the general chair uh, ever since uh, the formal, the, the uh, conference called the Formal Ontology and Information Systems uh, conference series began uh, in 1998, I believe. Uh, so join me in welcoming uh, Dr. Nicola Guarino. Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to, to have this opportunity to talk at this Ontolog community. I've been uh, silently following your group for a while. I honestly, I never found the time to really enter into your uh, active discussions, and this is a great opportunity to really talk, uh, talk with you. So thanks, uh, Leo, and, uh, and the Ontolog group for uh, uh, this chance. Okay, I will uh, uh, report about uh, the experience uh, uh, behind uh, this uh, upper-level ontology. And uh, first of all, I have to uh, remind that this is, uh, has been a collaborative effort from uh, many people. I, I thank them all. I, maybe I will have the opportunity to thank a single people uh, while uh, following the talk. Next slide, please. Okay, this is the summary. I, I will uh, spend some time uh, um, motivating the necessity and the, the role of uh, so-called uh, foundational ontology, axiomatic logical theory. And uh, also I will um, 
present the vision we have, uh, which is not to have a single uh, thing, a single uh, axiomatic ontology, but rather uh, uh, having a library of these things, and indeed Dolce is intended to be one possible uh, upper-level ontology. Uh, I will, um, will uh, present the basic, uh, uh, let's say, approach we follow, which is the approach of, of so-called formal ontology, mainly um, taken from uh, philosophy, from uh, analytic philosophy, that will uh, motivate uh, the kind of ontological choices we did in Dolce. I will browse for the axioms. Uh, of, of course, there is no time to go for the axiomatization. Which this is the, the way I'm, I've been uh, used to start most of my talks uh, recently, with this quotation from uh, the Harvard Business Review. This is uh, rather, maybe a, a bit dated now, uh, but uh, this uh, paper was, uh, this article was uh, analyzing and discussing the reasons uh, of the so-called uh, failure of the dot-com at the time uh, when uh, the e-commerce applications were growing. And uh, the reason uh, the analyst uh, will uh, uh, isolate this time was uh, because uh, not enough attention uh, was given to subtle distinctions in terminology and meaning. Subtle distinctions. This is the whole point of, of good ontologies. Ontologies, axiomatic ontologies are especially important when subtle distinctions in terminology and meaning are relevant. Uh, next slide. I don't know if... Anyway, just to motivate, to give you a, a couple of examples. Consider, uh, also these examples are a bit dated, but still valid. Consider the year 2000 presidential election. I don't know whether uh, you, or certainly many of you hear uh, this story about uh, the problem of counting the holes in the in the in the in cards and uh, and uh, indeed uh, at a certain point the uh, people at CNN at CNN realized that uh, uh, it, this uh, problem of understanding what a hole is was a real problem and they decided to interview a hole expert and indeed there is one hole expert which is Professor Achille Vardi who teaches uh, uh, logic uh, and uh, ontology at uh, the Columbia University and, and Achille had a whole talk on a horse at CNN just uh, discussing about the ontology of horse. <laughs> uh, this is the kind of, uh, of problem, understanding what counts a whole, which can only be uh, addressed uh, using ontological analysis. XML doesn't help. Uh, similarly, uh, for uh, think of the Twin Towers. Um, from the point of view of insurances, okay, forget all the all the all the, the tragic uh, aspects. From the point of view of, of insurances, it makes a whole difference deciding whether it was one event or two events. From one point of view, maybe it is just one event because these two two uh, um, the, the, the the two things were uh, causally connected. Okay, so they count uh, from, uh, from the point of view of the, of the insurance as a single star. On the other hand, hand of course, uh, they are two separate things, uh, two separate spatio-temporal locations, and so on. So arguing whether, uh, whether we should count uh, these 
um, stuff as a single event or uh, as two separate event, events, again, it's a genuine ontological problem. Uh, this is uh, understanding these kind of things, analyzing these things with the proper tools is a matter of so-called formal ontology. This is uh, the kind um, um, okay, that's it. Maybe we can move to the next uh, slide. It is number five. This picture um, is uh, intended to um, to capture in uh, in uh, in, a sh in a single uh, in a single slide what we mean for uh, logic ontologies for axiomatic ontology. Uh, let's start. Uh, I'm sorry. Are we on slide five? Yes, slide five. Yes. Uh, this, I'm sorry to interrupt again. This slide is not numbered. It doesn't have five on it. It does say ontologies and intended meaning. Right, right. Uh, Very good. Thank in you. my version, the slides are not um, the, the content of the slide. There is no number in the slide. I'm sorry for that. Anyway, um, the right in the right corner, you have uh, a set of situations. Effectively, situations are just snapshots of uh, what's happening in a certain piece of the world. Okay? Snapshot, temporal snapshot. And uh, we are, uh, as uh, human people, uh, human beings, uh, we are exposed to this. And, uh, and according to the way we are exposed to these things, uh, across time, we abstract, we select through our perception apparatus and so on, our cultural experience and so on, we extract invariants out of this situation. So we select a relevant domain, T, and a number of relevant relations, which are those which we <coughs> use in our everyday um, uh, activity. Okay? So a conceptualization is basically a a, 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 a domain plus a set of relevant relations to this domain. Okay? Both the domain and the relations are the result of a certain kind of, of cognitive extractions of invariants. I will say more on this while motivating uh, the Dolce choice. Now, when uh, we use a logical language to talk of the conceptualization, okay, for instance, in English, when I use English, I commit to a certain, to a certain um, logical set of ontological choices. Uh, we want to make clear what this commitment is. Okay? And ontologies have exactly the purpose of making clear what, how a language commits to a conceptualization. And, uh, for instance, if the language is a logical language, uh, of course, uh, there is a whole bunch of possible inter-Tarkian interpretations of this language in logical terms, but uh, we, only, we are only um, need to concentrate on the, on the so-called intended models, okay? Not every interpretation of this language is, is, is a good one. So we have to isolate the intended models, and the role of, uh, of an ontology is exactly this one, to select to approximate the intended model. Ontology, as a logical theory, is such that its models approximate the intended model. 
this is the idea uh, way I've been presenting this a number of times not spend that much time on this uh, let's go to the next slide number six uh, you can see that uh, this uh, idea of uh, presenting an ontology in formal terms as a logical theory models uh, approximate the intended ones uh, is useful in order to um, establish uh, comparisons between different ontologies. You see, a good ontology, roughly, is an ontology which basically captures most, uh, all uh, the intended models and there is a residual part, let's say, of uh, ontology models which are actually non-intended. Uh, if uh, if uh, you have less axioms, uh, then the number of ontology models uh, is uh, higher, and uh, in this case uh, you can see that, say that the ontology has a lower precision, uh, because there are more ontology models which are not actually intended. You can also see in the picture an example of a bad ontology which is over-constrained when you add too many axioms. It may be the case that, uh, that uh, some intended models are not captured by the ontology, although all the, intent, all the ontology models are actually intended. And uh, of course there is also the possibility that the ontology models and the intended models have nothing to do with each other. Uh, I will not spend uh, uh, time on this uh, because it takes a, uh, a whole talk. Uh, so I leave to the intuition. Uh, uh, there is only also, um, however, one uh, consideration I would like to make uh, on the basis of this, uh, of this uh, picture. Let's go to the next slide, number seven. Uh, this, uh, in my view, this is intended to motivate uh, the importance uh, of uh, good axiomatic um, suppose that there are two agents, agent A and agent D, who are using the same logical language, L, and uh, uh, the large circle uh, depicts uh, the whole possible models of this language, uh, and, uh, and suppose that these two agents, agents uh, have two disjoint sets of intended models. The same symbol has different meanings, the same predicate symbol has two different meanings for agent A and agent L. So this means that the, the intended models are disjoint, these two guys cannot, in, cannot really communicate one each other. But, suppose that the, every agent has developed uh, his own ontology, okay? and uh, the, the, the large green oval uh, depicts uh, the models of the ontology A, and the large um, red oval depicts the models of the ontology D, it may be the case that even if the two intended models do not overlap, the ontologies may, <coughs> the respective ontologies may overlap just because they are not precise enough. They, they are only coarse characterizations of the respective intended models. So it may be the case that uh, for instance, you buy ontology, the ontology of agent D because you believe it, it is useful for your applications, 
And, but you discover that actually, although they are logically, logically compatible one each other, mutually consistent, indeed you discover that this uh, apparent agreement is not uh, is nothing you really need because uh, because uh, indeed the two ontologies are uh, express a false agreement. The, the, the mutual consistency is the, re the result of a false agreement, not. Uh, the result of an intended agreement on something which is really mutually believed. Anyway, I hope this is, uh, this is uh, clear enough. So let's uh, go to the next slide. On the basis uh, of uh, these uh, examples, uh, this is a list, let's say, on the basis of these um, considerations, this is a list of uh, arguments that we believe uh, Let's say the reasons why we claim that uh, um, well-founded ontologies or foundations on foundational ontologies are important. So these kind of ontologies are important when subtle distinctions are important. When recognizing disagreement is important. When the rigorous referential semantics is important, and not every every everywhere this thing. When general abstractions are important, when you have to carefully explain and justify your own ontological commitment, and in, in some, when mutual understanding between agents, between human people, say human, is more important than uh, interoperability. Uh, these are the motivations for, uh, for our work. Let's move to the next slide. Nicola? Yes. Um, these things are true and useful for building any ontology. They're not specifically more useful for building foundational ontologies. Is that true? Um, not necessarily. Maybe this, uh, this um, I can answer uh, to your question through the present slide. Okay. Uh, suppose uh, I believe there are on slide nine now. Yes, we are on slide nine. Yes. Um, consider two kinds of communities. In uh, one community, the meaning of terms is known in, ad known in advance. Okay. For instance, uh, for instance, you are uh, you have uh, an um, e-commerce uh, application, and you already know what what uh, how these the various products are named. Okay. You know this, that the meaning of terms. Uh, you are only interested in taxonomic reasoning. Okay. So. Uh, the, the community has no need to really make clear what a single word means. In this case, uh, the taxonomic reasoning is the main ontology service, and uh, you don't really need detailed, uh, let's say sophisticated uh, axiomatic ontologies. And of course, the result is that uh, your language can have a limited expressivity. On the other hand, you may have stringent computational requirements online because you want simple things fast. And on the other hand, if you want to, uh, uh, you, if you are in a global uh, perspective, not just focusing on a single community, you may need to negotiate meaning across different communities, establish consensus, explain the meaning of terms. And in this more global perspective, of course, uh, uh, you, uh, you, you need more uh, sophisticated ontologies, and of course you need higher expressivity for the language you use. 
On the other hand, the, the need of really understanding the details of a certain um, meaning for one term are not um, necessary. There are no stringent. Uh, it is like for, for, suppose you encounter a, a new term and you you spend some time in looking at the encyclopedia. Okay, you 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 look for your. Uh, um, for your uh, library and you finally, after maybe an hour or so, you really master what the, the, the meaning of this new term is. Okay, once, once you have understood, uh, you don't need, uh, you don't have to do extensive reasoning at runtime. Okay, this is the idea. Okay, so foundational ontologies uh, are more sophisticated, they require higher exclusivity, that's why we are using full-first-order logic, but the idea is that, uh, is that of course, they play a, a crucial role, but this crucial role is not necessarily uh, needed all the time. This is the difference. I don't know if I'm, if I'm answering in this way to the previous question. That's a good start. Thanks. Okay. Let's move to the next slide. So this is more, uh, these were preliminaries. Let's, uh, let's, let's now uh, go to our... Um, the Deutsche staff and to the uh, WonderWeb Foundational Ontologies Library. WonderWeb was uh, a European project which uh, has uh, finished down, finished, finished um, maybe one year ago, I believe. Uh, the idea was, uh, one of the results of this project was to explore uh, the, the role of on foundational ontologies and to actually develop uh, a, a small library of, uh, of these ontologies with the idea of no single upper level. Rather, we want to uh, have a, a way to, to, to compare the various uh, different upper levels um, with, with the possibility to justify and position every single choice with respect to the space of possible choice. So the idea is to have the basic options clearly documented and also to have a sort of branching points which uh, you can follow for easy comparison of ontological options. So in this way, we believe that this approach can act as a starting point for building new ontologies, establish also a reference point for easy and rigorous comparison of different approaches, and ultimately to have a common framework for analyzing, harmonizing, and integrating existing ontologies, metadata standards. This is the idea of the library. And uh, I understand that, for instance, that the next, uh, the forthcoming uh, NIST workshop on, uh, on uh, upper ontologies, uh, there, uh, uh, there will be the opportunity to discuss this, uh, this um, um, comparison approach. Anyway, let's move to the next slide. This slide is a picture. Eleven. Eleven, yes. A picture showing roughly the idea. Okay, you have multiple modules with formal links between these uh, these uh, different ontologies. Possibly, by the way, these formal links uh, can uh, be. Uh, not necessarily be implemented, okay? Talking the, the, the work we've done, uh, these links are on paper, okay? They are just uh, formal comparison, no, no implemented links, okay? 
there are roughly two dimensions. On one hand, you have the space of ontological choices. On the other hand, you have the applications areas, uh, and possibly with different levels of details. Okay, this is this is the idea. Let's go to the next slide. Again, if the background noise doesn't come from when Nicola is, uh, will the person please mute his phone? Slide number 12 now. Okay. So, uh, so this is the idea of this, uh, of this uh, foundational authority. But the point is, okay, how to develop a foundational authority. Then we, 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 we need some, some theories. And these theories, there are a bunch of related things which collectively can be called formal ontology. General, we see formal ontology as a theory of formal distinctions and connections, on one hand between entities of the world, called particular, and also between factors we use to talk about the entities say particular and universal. Formal distinctions and connections between particular and between universal. Uh, why formal? In two ways, in two senses. That this adjective has two meanings. Formal as synonymous of rigorous and formal as synonymous of general. And it's very, it's very um, interesting to compare formal logic to formal ontology. That uh, is due to Bakilevardi. Uh, formal logic uh, is about connections between truths. If this is true, then this is okay. And of course, formal logic is neutral about truth per se. Okay, it doesn't tell you what is true. And analogously, formal logic is about connections between things. If if this cup exists, then some kind of hole must exist. Okay. If my talk exists, then uh, somebody like me must participate to this talk. Okay? These are the kind of connections which belong to the field of formal ontology. And you can see that these two things, formal logic and formal ontology, of course they are different, and on the, on the other hand they can go uh, hand in hand. This is the idea. Let's move to the next slide. Uh, so, what, what are the various theories, the elements, the chapters of the formal ontology? Uh, by the way, in, in order to see, to answer to these questions, we have to look at philosophy, starting from Aristotle and, uh, and so on. And by the way, the picture here, here is, uh, is, is due to Chris Welty. When he was uh, visiting our group some years ago, he decided to put uh, to change the book uh, in the hand uh, of uh, of Aristotle with uh, with a power book and uh, this uh, gives the idea of the kind of mixture between uh, uh, philosophy and computer science uh, which uh, is uh, basically inspires our whole uh, methodology now the basic chapters of um, formal ontology are first of all the theory of essence and identity then the theory of parts, the theory of holes. Of course, 
well, I, I will give you some hints about these things, but there is no time to explore to investigate and explain all all of things. So anyway, the, the basic things are the theory of essence identity, theory of parts, the theory of halts, theory of dependence, theory of composition and constitution, theory of properties and quality. My point is that the basis for a common ontology vocabulary should be should come from these skills. In other words, if you if you think of the of the of the thematic web pyramid, the, the so-called ontology layer, the ontology layer shouldn't be based so much on purely, let's say, on neutral representation primitives, but should be based on ontological primitives, which which uh, allow to characterize ontological commitment in terms of very general um, uh, notions uh, inspired uh, to these uh, uh, various uh, theories. This is the idea. Let's go to the next slide. Well, periology is uh, clearly, clearly the, the basic and also the most studied aspect of formal, formal ontology. Uh, and also, Mariology is interesting because it shows you what does it mean actually start doing some axiomatic controls. First, you have to choose you have to choose the primitive, okay? In this case, proper part of. Then you start to um, ask yourself what the algebraic properties of this relation are. For instance, some other Finding that it is asymmetric, it is transitive. Maybe you can define uh, the general notion of part uh, on the basis of the of proper part. Uh, you can uh, define what the overlaps means. I'm not going through the all details, uh, but uh, at a certain point, uh, once uh, you are stopped, uh, sorry, at a certain point uh, after uh, you 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 have uh, written down a couple of axioms, you ask yourself what the intended models are. For instance, uh, in the bottom picture shows uh, some uh, models, some meriological models, uh, which may be desirable or not. For instance, uh, is it possible for something to have something else as the only proper part? Probably not. Okay. Therefore, Mereology, the most mereologies uh, admit the so-called supplementation axiom, which says that if something is proper part of uh, something else, then there must be something, an extra guy, which is not uh, overlapping with the first one. Okay? So X cannot be the only proper part of Y. A suitable Z not overlapping with X. This is a very strong... Uh, is, uh, this uh, um, helps uh, in uh, characterizing the actual uh, intuition behind parthood and, uh, uh, more importantly, to, um, to um, isolate parthood from an arbitrary um, partial order uh, relationship. Uh, other uh, more uh, debatable uh, uh, models uh, 
uh, are the case where uh, you have just two things and nothing which uh, contains these two things, maybe uh, the so-called principle of sum is desired, if there are two guys, then also the sum of these two guys. And the first, third example uh, is uh, probably the most debatable. Uh, the point is whether it is possible for two things to be different and yet having exactly the same proper part. And uh, if you don't like this model, then uh, you have to add the so-called extensionality axiom, which says that uh, two things are the same if and only if they have the same part. Um, this uh, gives, uh, um, I believe, the example of mereology has also a, a kind of didactic value for understanding the kind of job that people uh, doing axiomatic ontology uh, have to uh, afford. Let's move to the next slide. Like this is an example which, which starts being related to the Dolce, um, to the Dolce choices um, because uh, in Dolce, in certain cases, we give up extensionality. The discussion is a little bit complicated, but the, the example at least should be, should be clear enough. Suppose you have two blocks and you form a, a, a little pile with this blocks. Suppose it is a complicated thing, it is a castle. The point is that whether there is a difference between the castle and the sum of blocks. Is the castle just a sum of blocks or a sum of bricks? Uh, we say no. We say that uh, the castle is different from the sum of its bricks. The castle is constituted by the sum of um, and also the castle is dependent on this brick. The dependence uh, is exactly the reason why constitution is not, uh, is not symmetric, because otherwise you can say, well, the castle is constituted by, the, by its uh, bricks, and also the bricks are constituted by the castle. Not the case because there is a dependence relation. I will, I will say more about this uh, relation later. Let's go to the next slide. 16. So I, I will, uh, I tend to say some slide indeed, this takes time. Uh, this is uh, just uh, a general uh, sketch of the various uh, kind of ontological options uh, which uh, we may uh, consider. A very general term. Uh, philosophers have been discussing whether uh, uh, properties are uh, repeatable or non-repeatable, or whether uh, things uh, um, that are uh, be considered as uh, association of properties or maybe something attached. Or, or, may, or the question is whether there are things called bare particulars to which properties are attached. But this is just uh, a philosophical discussion. I, I will not enter into this, this point. Uh, also, maybe a more relevant discussion regards uh, the, the way things uh, persist and the way things change in time. For instance, uh, you can uh, say that, uh, that uh, um, 
change in time is nothing else, is very similar to change in space, or you may take a different uh, so, so change in time can be due to different phases. For instance, you may ask yourself whether my talk is changing or not. I am changing, for sure. I don't know whether my talk is changing. Okay, this is the kind of question we ask of. And by the way, if we, if we have ch change and persistence, how are these two phenomena related? How are changes related to persistence? Changing things related to persistence? These are the kind of general questions we have to address. But these are still at the very philosophical level. Uh, also, also some... Uh, let, let's go to the next slide, please. Seven. Other uh, ontological choices uh, regard the notion of space and time, uh, whether they are absolute or relative, whether uh, they are atomic or not. They put, uh, we decided time is not. This is um, and whether uh, and also general questions to consider the way things are located in space. Uh, I will say some more details later, so I, I will be quick here. Next slide. Okay, let's, now let's enter into the, into the uh, concrete uh, choices we made. Uh, first of all, let's, uh, let's go to the next slide, 19. Um, Dolce. Dolce means uh, a descriptive ontology for linguistic and cognitive engineering. The acronym is due to Luke Schneider, who is now finishing his PhD at the University of Geneva. Um, and uh, the acronym, uh, in a sense, uh, is a synthesis of the kind of choices, strong choices. There is a strong cognitive linguistic bias, in, the, in philosopher terms, uh, we say we have a descriptive attitude as opposite to a, a prescriptive attitude. There are certain phenomena, specifically language phenomena, and we try to construct our ontology in such a way we, uh, let's say, we reflect more or less uh, the surface structure of linguistic uh, utterances. Because there is the implicit assumptions that, that more or less, of course, more or less, uh, uh, um, the, our ontological categories, uh, those uh, really useful, mirror recognition, common sense, and the lexical structure. So the emphasis is on this kind of cognitive invariance. Uh, remind uh, the first slide uh, showing what a conceptualization is. And uh, also we do not commit on deep metaphysical implications. We think uh, our categories main are conceptual, useful containers. Uh, so we try, uh, by the way, I, in these cases I I, I defend my engineering background. I, 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 I mainly motivate this uh, ontology from uh, the kind of uh, utilitarian point of view. And uh, the focus is on design rationale. Sorry? 
the focus is on also to allow to motivate why we made a, a certain choice and by adopting a rigorous thematic interdisciplinary approach interdisciplinarity is essential aspect of our methodology so we have to take philosophy and linguistics and the result is a richly axiomatized logical theory with a number of basic categories, basic relations, structure. Um, let's move to the next slide. Okay. Uh, here is the basic... And also this one gentleman who has not used his phone, could you mute your phone, please? Okay. Sounds good. Uh, who, who is this? By the way, what sounds good? Whoever said sounds good has not motivated his phone. Okay. Please continue, Nicola. We're on slide number 20 now. Yes. Nicola, please. Okay, should I go on? By the way, yes, how much time do I have? We have a hard stop at, uh, in exactly one hour. Okay. Okay, so I, I'm definitely willing to leave space, a um, lot of space to questions. So, okay. Anyway, this is the basic uh, Dolce Taxon. Um, I maybe I will uh, will uh, well give you examples. An amount of matter is some material, some mass of material. A physical object is uh, is uh, is my body, for instance. A feature is a hole. Uh, a, a mental object is uh, is uh, uh, something I have in mind. I have a list of, or a percept is the typical example of a mental object. A social object is something which is constructed by 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 a, 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 a society of agents. Some, for instance, a law, the Italian constitution is a social object. Um, ah, by the way, I will, uh, of course, I, I'm entering into. I'm giving you examples for the time being, and of course uh, in the next uh, discussion I will uh, motivate the basic distinctions between endurance and perdurance. Let's uh, uh, grasp uh, the intended, uh, the informal intended meaning first. Okay? States uh, are, are, are uh, let's, let's say, for instance, my being sitting on my chair. Processes are things like my, uh, my talk, okay, my being talking. Okay, or my being walking. Uh, an achievement uh, is uh, finishing uh, is um, oh, I can an, an achievement and accomplishment uh, is okay. The achievement uh, is uh, is uh, my finishing the talk. Okay, and accomplishment uh, is the whole okay, the talk itself. And, and then there are qualities. I've been, uh, I've been extensively. I will talk extensively about qualities later. 
and uh, after things, uh, specifically time, time uh, is, is a region, space is a region, color is a region, these are prototypical examples of abstract things. This gives you the idea. Let's, uh, let's uh, go to the details. Uh, next slide. 21. Uh, this is another way of presenting the taxonomy. Okay. We can uh, skip to the next slide. Ah, by the way, let, let me notice between, notice between uh, physical objects the distinction between agentive physical objects and non-agentive physical objects. Uh, I am an agentive. Go ahead. 22. Okay. Um, this single slide I um, list the very basic uh, positions, the very basic uh, ontological choices we have made. First of all, there is this distinction between so-called endurance and perdurance. I will say more on this. By the way, the, the very terms endurance and perdurance have been deliberately chosen uh, because they are technical. Uh, they are, uh, belong to the, to the technical philosophy discussion. Because other things like uh, events uh, of, uh, um, evoke, may evoke wrong, uh, wrong uh, ideas. Anyway, roughly you can think of endurance as synonyms of uh, continuance or objects, okay, with the clarifications, and perdurance as synonyms of uh, occurrences, not occurrence, I will, uh, I will uh, clarify this point, or event. And this, this thing, these two categories, endurance and perdurance, are connected together by the relation of participation. I participate to my talk, okay? Endure, endurance participates to perdurance. This is the first choice. Then there is the, the maybe the most original choice, Dolce, which is uh, the category of qualities. Qualities are individual entities inhering to endurance and perdurance. Let's say the length of my talk, okay, quality of my talk, my, my, um, the, the, character of my voice uh, is the quality of my voice, the color of the rose is the, color, is the quality of the rose. The idea is that these things, these entities, can live the, the, the life of my, of my weight, for instance, is, is, is my, has, my weight goes along with me. My weight comes into existence when I come into existence, and why my weight will cease to exist when I will. Uh, so qualities uh, uh, exhibit changes, say, like uh, like the things they hear in. And qualities are instances of quality kinds. For instance, my weight is an instance of the kind weight. And each kind is associated to a quality space, an abstract entity. Uh, I will I will say more on this. Can I ask a question quality here? Space. Sorry. Um, would you consider qualities to be identical to, or in some way different from what are usually called tropes? Uh, qualities are tropes. 
They are, okay. Uh, but not all tropes are quality. Ah, okay. Um, for instance, depending on the duration, for instance, for certain people, if events are also tropes, holes okay. uh, uh, may also be seen as Anyway, qualities are certainly tropes. But uh, this is a bit technical. We, we kind of massively adopt uh, the trope, although with some uh, non-standard, um, uh, non-standard um, aspects. Uh, uh, if if, if uh, we want, uh, we can uh, say more on this, but maybe after the talk. Uh, I will be happy to talk about the way uh, Dolce uh, implements the trophy. Uh, the other uh, important choice is the so-called multiplicative approach. So, um, for instance, uh, this is the difference with respect uh, with uh, uh, many philosophers. So there are people who, on the basis of the so-called Occam razor, they, let's say, they, they avoid to admit the distinction between, uh, let's say, me and my body, an apple, and uh, and it is constitute. We, the statue and, uh, and the marble, uh, this, um, we believe that this, um, uh, this kind of, uh, of uh, economicity of uh, ontological assumptions is not useful for, uh, for common. And so we, we really admit that uh, different objects and events can be uh, can be different uh, while being spatiotemporally co-localized. Um, for instance, uh, I can uh, be in, uh, I can uh, be singing while uh, taking a shower. These are two different events. Not just one simple event. Um, although co-localized. Um, okay, let's move to the next slide. So, some more, uh, let's go, uh, go to some more technical uh, uh, about the difference between endurance and perdurance. Of course, uh, we believe that this kind of difference is very intuitive. We do, other people don't, anyway. We believe it's very intuitive, but, but of course the, the hard problem is to characterize this distinction in a suitable way. If not defining, we do not define technically what uh, an endurance is, but we certainly characterize uh, pretty, pretty clearly what the difference is between an endurance and a perdurance. So, endurance, the, the basic technical difference is the kind of parthood relation they, which uh, they admit. If, uh, if, if, uh, if you say that uh, a hair is part of me, they ask when, when was this hair part of you? Because if I, if I get rid of one hair, okay, if I lose one hair, uh, of course uh, after, um, this hair is not part of me anymore. For endurance it is possible, uh, I would say it is necessary, uh, attach a time index to a parthood relationship, otherwise uh, uh, the information you convey is not enough, it is incomplete. 
On the other hand, for uh, perdurance, events, uh, speaking, uh, this uh, time uh, index is not necessary. The, the beginning of uh, year 2006 uh, is, of course, a part of year 2000. There is no need ask when is it a part of the uh, when is the February a part of the whole year okay? so events do not need perdurance do not need a time index as part of the relation uh, he say that endurance exists in time while events happen in time uh, endurance can change in time I can lose hair I can get old and so on I can change in time I'm, I'm gesticulating right now I'm sorry for that yeah, you can't uh, watch it uh, while uh, um, perdurance uh, uh, do not change in time as a whole okay, my talk as a whole okay, the talk I, I, I'm going to on. if you say it is changing you are saying something else you are not say you, the subject of, of change <coughs> sorry, is not the whole talk and all uh, uh, parts of my talk are essential if I get rid of uh, I can't substitute the part okay? it would be a different talk of course while, uh, while endurance can have non-essential parts like my hair and, and uh, also finally uh, we report uh, the um, standard uh, um, definition or um, characterization we encounter in philosophy philosopher says that uh, for endurance uh, all proper parts are present whenever they are present for, uh, this means that suppose you are looking at me all my proper parts are present in front of you right now not the case for my talk because there are some proper parts of my talk namely the beginning which is not the present anymore okay? and there are other parts of my talk which, uh, which are not present yet um, so the kind of myriological behavior of endurance and perdurance is pretty different Although I must say that formalizing the last thing, really understanding what uh, formal terms, what uh, holy present means, uh, is still an open, uh, an open, uh, an open issue uh, as far as I know. Anyway, the intuition is pretty strong. And uh, finally, we say that endurance participates in perdurance. There is a primitive relationship. I participate in this and you too but. Uh, let's go to the next slide um, so now I have inserted a, a, a three slides to uh, further motivate the kind of intuition uh, the, the kind of uh, let's say yeah, the, in the title in the title of this talk I put uh, Experience. Okay, I'm I'm trying to share the kind of uh, of experience we finally resulted in this choice. And uh, first of all, if you really push me uh, from uh, the scientific point of view to 
really, really claim, to really tell you what exists. Thank you. Maybe I will give up all these distinctions between endurance, perdurance, all these multiplicative attitudes. Maybe ultimately, I must admit there are, say, space-time regions and basic qualities ascribed to these space-time regions. I charge, mass, and Maybe there are, the world is ultimately made of spatial temporal distributions of these very, very basic uh, uh, qualities. This would be the, the physical view, okay? which is probably right. I don't know. It is not my, 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 my job because I'm not a physicist or a philosopher, but maybe it's right. But it's not uh, practical, it's not useful from the cognitive point of view. Let's move to the next slide. So this is the cognitive view. Uh, I believe that uh, humans, uh, and also there is evidence, uh, humans uh, isolate relevant variances across uh, these uh, distributions of qualities, whatever. Okay? They extract the relevant invariances on the basis of perception, as resulting from evolution, on the basis of cognition, cultural experience, language, and so on. Uh, for instance, uh, um, if uh, a fly is passing in front of me, both me and uh, a dog can track this fly okay, in time and uh, probably in their brain there is something which is uh, lightning, a, a single thing. They both, I believe that both uh, me and a dog can recognize a fly as an endurance. Uh, although maybe in, there is no physical reason for uh, concluding that uh, the, flight, uh, the fly at time uh, w uh, T1 is uh, the same as the fly at time T2. Maybe there are some molecules uh, flowing away of the fly, the, the different position of the, of the wings and so on. So maybe from the physical point of view there is no reason to conclude it is one object. It is a persistent object. But on the other hand, this is extremely important in order to survive, in order to engage our, our ordinary uh, fight with the and so, uh, to, uh, we extract, uh, we associate to each situation the set of atomic percepts, okay, the image of the fly, and we, we extract relevant invariance, uh, uh, first of all, at the synchronic level, at the single time, on the basis of topological and morphological considerations. And our eyes are built in this way. Then, at the diachronic level, we also extract the temporal invariant. We, we establish useful equivalence relationships among perfect patterns belonging to different situations, the fly now and the fly a minute ago. This is the way endurance emerged. Similarly, similarly perdurance, like, like my talk, are also ascribed as a result of some kind of social or cognitive process uh, from uh, more elementary uh, patterns across different situations. This is the kind of intuitions 
we have, and uh, which is also the result of discussions with colleagues coming from cognitive science, philosophy, linguistics. And uh, by the way, uh, a third consideration comes uh, from language. From language, okay? the linguistic view, in a sense, can be seen on the top of the cognitive. And um, and uh, the reason why we ultimately um, uh, made the so-called multiplica multiplicative choice is strictly related to the linguistic. Uh, uh, you know, linguists. Uh, go with the substitutivity test. Okay, two things are the same if you can substitute uh, in them freely into a single, uh, single test. Now I say, I say I'm talking here. I cannot substitute I with this bunch of molecules. Okay, because the property of being the verb to talk cannot be ascribed to a bunch of molecules. Um, so if you say the statue is looking at me, you cannot say this piece of marble. Maybe you can in a metaphoric sense. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, this is the kind of uh, of uh, considerations which basically motivate uh, our uh, decision to uh, to uh, to keep uh, different, to keep um, dis distinct uh, the statue from the piece of. Let's go to the next slide. 26. <coughs> Number uh, 27. Sh should it be 26? Uh, no, 26 is past. And, and, uh, next one, please. Uh -huh. Okay. Let's go to quality now. Consider uh, this bunch of linguistic examples. This rose is red. Red is a color. This rose has a color. The color of this rose turns brown in one week. Uh, red is opposite to green and close to brown. The patient's temperature is increased. The doctor measures the patient's temperature. The point is, to our ambition was, uh, establish a semantic framework such that there is a clear reference in the domain of discourse for this rose, for red, for the patient's temperature. When you say the patient's temperature, you may ask yourself, what is increasing? If the color of the rose turns down, it's something with the subject of this term. So you need to invent, to have a handle, to have an individual in your, in your domain of discourse uh, to justify uh, the, uh, let's say, the surface structure of this, uh, of this uh, statement. This is, uh, a, a, and we claim that uh, the, the, our methodology um, uh, is probably one of the, <coughs> of the, the, the only uh, semantic approach which makes justice at the same time to all these uh, natural language states. Uh, and we shall see an example soon. So the idea is that, uh, is that uh, these things core qualities are individual, they are particular, which are permanently and uniquely inhering during the interview. There are 
qualities of endurance and qualities of survival. And these uh, qualities, like my weight, are perceptually mapped into qualia, which are other things. The value, so to speak, of my weight is not uh, a quality. The qualia, this is a strange term, I admit it, where there are versions of it, but uh, is a region. The, uh, so qualities, in a sense, move into spaces. When I change, when the rose turns to brown in one week, in a sense, the idea is that there is something which is moving in a space while keeping its identity. Now it is located into red, and in one week it will be located into brown. This is the idea. And uh, uh, let's uh, the next slide. 28. So, here are pictures. Okay. The idea was that they, they are, that the chair and the rose have not exactly the same color, but both they, we can say the two, these two things have the same color. Yet, yet, they have different quality, color qualities. The color of the rose is different from the color of uh, the chair, although they have the same quality, although they are located in the same region, same quality. Uh, and because they are located into the same quality region, we can ascribe the attribute red to the two things. Uh, and this, uh, the situation will be clearer with the next uh, slide. Let's move to 29. Okay, now, there is the rose one, which is one particular rose. There is another entity in the domain, which we label color of rose one, individual, and this is the quality. This is the, in, an instance of, a, of the color class, and the color class, subclass of the quality class. Okay, so color of the rose, being a, being a color is the quality, okay? And color of the rose one inheres rose one, okay? Is the quality of, is the color of rose one. Inherence is the basic uh, uh, relation. And this guy, this color, is located in, uh, in a region which belongs to the space of colors, the particular region the part of the color space. Color space is an abstract entity divided into parts. There is a part which is the region called red, the red region, which in turn has another part, maybe atomic, red force one, the particular shade of red. Okay. Anyway, this particular shade of red is called the quale, the essence, the value of of uh, the color. Uh, so when uh, when uh, the color when the rose gets uh, brown, uh, its color quality will remain will remain identical to itself, and uh, it will just uh, move to another region. By the way, this is one uh, difference uh, with respect to most uh, tropes. And uh, by the way, uh, we can. Uh, 
uh, you can see the difference, the distinction between uh, red objects and red regions. When we say the rose is red, okay, the term, the predicate red, is uh, it takes uh, objects as uh, as argument. Red. Uh, so uh, when you say red is a color, um, um, or red four to one is a red, in this case it is another sense of being red. Okay. There are red objects and red colors, and uh, this approach clearly uh, clarifies the difference between. I don't know whether this is clear. Maybe are there specific questions on this picture? I have a question on um, on, on okay. the ah yes <clears throat> when we talk about uh, red as being an attribute of something, then then it has to be used in conjunction with an object. Yes. So what happens uh. if you have an example such as rose, which can occupy both. Because rose is a color, rose is also an object. No, rose can't be a color. Oh? Rose one hmm. is, uh, is uh, an endurance, while uh, colors like red, brown, are, are, uh, are quality regions. So these two categories are, are, are different. Rose one. Um, the, the word rose can be used uh, to be ah. either the, the, the enduring ah, okay, or, the, sorry, or the, sorry, the actual sorry. color. Okay, in this case it is... Uh, it is uh, um, there's a linguistic ambiguity. You should distinguish between rose the color and rose the flower, of course. Yeah. Rose, the, the flower is uh, is uh, an endurance. Rose, the color, or red, the color, are uh, color region. Thank you. Okay, may I also request that uh, uh, the people uh, to identify themselves before speaking? If you please. Uh, this is Tim Water from Boeing. I'm still having a little problem grasping the notion of the red object. Yes. I wonder if you could spend 15 or 20 seconds with that again. Thank you. Red is ambiguous. When you say this rose is red, maybe we can back to the to the slides ago. There were there were these linguistic examples. Uh, anyway, when you say this rose is red, or uh, when you say red is a color, okay, you are using the same term red. Okay, one first time as, as, a, as an adjective and the second time as a noun, okay? Uh, and these two things are different. When you say rose is red, you can paraphrase this uh, into rose, this rose is a red object. When you say red is a color, you can paraphrase this, uh, paraphrase this with uh, um, Red color is a color. Okay. So red means two things, red object and red color. Or oh, red region if you want. Does, does this, this is a follow-up question. This maps then to English nouns 
versus a word also being an English exactly. adjective. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. So uh, let's say this characterization uh, makes justice uh, to the linguistic difference between red used as an adjective and red used as a noun. Yes, thanks. Thank you very much. We, we go on? <coughs> Please. Okay, let's go to the next slide, Percy. Uh, by the way, we also admit uh, so-called features in our ontology. I will not uh, spend uh, much time on this, just the intuition. Uh, um, the holes in the cheese are features. The color of the cheese is a quality. Okay. By the way, features can have qualities themselves. The holes, of course, have many, many qualities. Okay. So, um, both uh, qualities and uh, features are so-called uh, parasitic. They are dependent. You can't have the color of the road without the road. You can't have the bump in the road without the road. So they are so-called parasitic entities. This is uh, Achille Vargas' terminology. Um, but uh, <coughs> they are different. They are different. Qualities, in a sense, are most, uh, more uh, basic. Features okay. can also have qualities. Both qualities and features are dependent entities. Thin things, parasitic. That's it. This is just at the level of intuition. Uh, should I proceed? 31. Another important distinction is do in Dolce is the one between abstract and concrete entities. Concrete entities are at least located in time. For instance, we admit, although this is a bit... Um, sorry? We admit that uh, an idea can be concrete in this sense if it has a starting uh, if it uh, comes to existence at a certain time and maybe uh, ceases to exist if there is a temporal location still we think uh, this entity is concrete uh, of course uh, if it is also specially located uh, even even, even so concrete things are located in time and by the way location location is uh, temporal location is a quality. This is an important, uh, I believe I have something specifically on this point, an important, uh, an important uh, choice, uh, for instance, which makes a difference uh, between Dolce and Baffo is, uh, is uh, the fact that we treat time and, uh, and uh, temporal and uh, spatial locations as qualities in a homogeneous way. So, Time is a quality space, maybe a bit peculiar, but not different from uh, uh, color. Okay? So location is a kind of uh, quality. And, uh, and uh, we say that concrete things are those things which do have a, a temporal location quality. And abstract, abstract means that uh, the entity is not located in of course, uh, there is an ambiguity in English, uh, abstract as a result of an abstraction process. Okay. Um, examples of abstract things are propositions, sets, regions, 
basically quality regions and quality states. And by the way, uh, for instance, uh, um, a meteorological sum of the concrete entities is concrete. Okay, the meteorological sum on C and Leo is concrete, uh, and uh, the set of C and Leo absolute. Sets are absolute. Meteorological sum. Um, next slide, please. Thirty-two. Um, okay, between uh, within uh, concrete entities, we uh, we label physical entities, physical endurance, those which have an inherent special localization. Uh, again, special localization is a point. Okay, so. Uh, the picture of a car represents a concrete entity. The company, uh, Fiat Corporation, which uh, built the car, is not a concrete entity, an abstract entity. By the way, it is also a social object, something which is constructed by social con convention. So, um, um, <coughs> so indeed, the non-physical endurance may be dependent on agents, either on a singular agent or on a social agent. And um, uh, non-physical endurance, um, it can be agentive or non-agentive. Uh, fiat, for instance, is an agentive non-physical endurance. And uh, a law uh, is a non-agentive non-physical endurance. Uh, by the way, we developed in the recent years uh, following the um, development of Dolce, a theory of uh, descriptions and social entities and so on. You can look at these publications on our website. Uh, let's move to the next, next slide. Time is running, by the way. Yes, uh, that is uh, slide number 33, and we, we have about 24 minutes to the end of the uh, oh, okay, maybe, so maybe, can, uh, okay, yeah. I will uh, quickly uh, um, finish uh, the, um, uh, by the way, there was a, was a this is slide, uh, which number is it? 20, uh, 30, there was a slide on basic relations? Yes, 30, uh, 33. Ah, okay, ah, okay, let's, Move to the uh, okay. Sorry, sorry. Previous one, this one, fine. Thirty-four. Okay. Yes, I believe I will. Uh, I will uh, skip uh, the more detailed part on uh, the formalization, which is on the slides. And by, by the way, it is on the papers uh, because indeed this talk was mainly intended to uh, motivate the choice. So this uh, will be the last. Uh, slide on the motivations, then I skip the formalization part, and I will go to the conclusion. By the way, the, the, in order to formalize uh, this uh, theory, we have, to, uh, we, we have to make two choices. First, uh, the structure of the domain, and this is the kind of uh, basic categories we want to talk about, and I, I have shown you before, and then then, uh, since uh, an axiomatic ontology is not just a taxonomy, okay, we have to select uh, the basic relations uh, we want to use in order to flesh out this taxonomy. And these are the kind of relations, uh, the primitive relations, that we 
have chosen for uh, for uh, dolce. There are uh, there are as you have seen uh, two kinds of part food relations: uh, um, indexed and non-indexed. Um, both um, between regions, between objects, and there are variants. But basically, part food is one one basic relation. There are various kinds of dependence relation. Uh, uh, let's say let's say that uh, the hole in the cheese depends uh, on the cheese. An example of what is called. Uh, uh, a generic dependence relation. Maybe you can get rid of some part of the cheese and still the hole is there. At least some part of the cheese must be there in order. Anyway, there are, uh, we, in the paper we develop uh, a number of variants of this uh, uh, dependence relation. Um, constitution is uh, uh, the basic uh, relation uh, which uh, accounts for, which is behind the, the so-called multiplicative choice. I am constituted by my body. My body is constituted by molecules. Inherence, we have already seen it, is the relation between equality and this. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, the relation between the quality and its value, so to speak, is the smaller relation. Then we have participation between an object and event, an endurance and verdurance. Representation, indeed, I will skip it because it, it belongs, uh, it doesn't belong to the core uh, Dolce stuff, it belongs uh, Now, let's skip a number of slides. Okay, so, oh no, uh, sorry, maybe number Thirty-five just says says the kind of methodology we adopt for the action phase. We first restrict the the arguments of the relations, then we come up to ground action, then we add extra actions for linking one relation to another relation, then we explore the dependence of time. In a sense, we tried. We are relatively proud of the kind of systematic methodology we tried to adopt uh, uh, to come up with action. And we tried to um, give the feeling of this uh, underlying methodology in the paper. At least this was our, our uh, intention. Uh, let's go move to the next slide. Okay, this is uh, just the number, uh, the, the list of the uh, basic relations. Next one. Different kinds of dependence, this fire time, next one, this is uh, the um, relationship between the qualities, the physical objects and regions, next one, next one, next one, uh, okay, participation relations, next one, oh, okay. Now a few concluding remarks about large extensions and applications and then I can uh, leave space to the to and next one, uh, okay, we'll not go through uh, all of this. Uh, this is uh, just uh, to uh, remark uh, that, uh, that um, 
this core ontologies have been extended in various ways, both by us and both by various people, either in cooperation with us or independent. This is uh, slide 43. Yes, 43, yes. Uh, I'm not going through all uh, these examples. I, I take the opportunity to mention uh, the important role uh, who uh, Aldo Gangemi from our um, section in Roma uh, had in many of these uh, application uh, uh, projects. Um, next slide. Another uh, important uh, um, uh, side work uh, related to Dolce has been uh, the um, mapping with lexicons, Codonto Warnet uh, project. Uh, indeed, uh, um, uh, one PhD student, Alessandro Ultramari, has been um, visiting the Princeton University group Warnet, and we are still working on on, uh, on uh, coming up with the so-called uh, onto warnet uh, uh, revisitation of various aspects of warnet. I am afraid I am not getting into details. Next slide. Okay, this is about the specific methodology we are adopting for uh, for uh, onto warnet. Let me only mention that uh, we are uh, trying to uh, adopt both a top-down process inspired to, uh, let's say, trying to cleaning to clean up the um, the distinctions underlying the senses format, but also um, uh, using some bottom-up uh, methods for, for instance, uh, automatically semi-automatically extracting relationships uh, from the glosses. Um, next slide, please. Uh, well, this is uh, a selection of the most relevant uh, projects that we've been uh, involved related to this project uh, development. Eon is starting project with a program, and Ontogeo hasn't started. Um, also, I'd like to mention Mostro, which is an ongoing project uh, related to the modeling of organization. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, conclusion. Conclusion. Uh, well, of course, subtle distinctions do matter, we believe. Formal ontological analysis helps, helps a little bit uh, making these distinctions explicit. A humble, very humble, interdisciplinary approach is essential, I believe. And finally, let me mention that somebody asked me at the end of my talk, wow, but this is hard. Of course, very, very hard. Why should it be easy? Not easy at all. That's it. Thanks for your attention. Thank you very much, Nicola. Uh, so we are open to questions now, and we have about 15 minutes to the, the hard stop uh, of this uh, conversation uh, before we get kicked out by the conference bridge. Uh, so 
if you are asking a question, please identify yourself first and uh, maybe let's take the names of uh, uh, some people who, ha who already have questions lined up so that we can go through people uh, one by one. Just David Williams. Martin. Okay, Ma David. Martin Hip. Mark. Leo. Leo. Martin Hip. Uh, Martin. Martin Hip. Yep. All right. Uh, I, Nicola, I, I see that you feel that establishing consensus within a community is going to be a necessity of, of trying to get a uh, common ontological basis for uh, communication. Do you have any ideas about a good process that um, can be used regardless of what the community is? Um, yes. Uh, I believe that ultimately Ultimately, we need uh, uh, perceptual examples uh, agree to, to ground consensus. Well, of course, uh, uh, I'm talking of simple, uh, of simple things like uh, getting a consensus about, uh, about being red or being, or being, uh, or being blue and not getting consensus about peace, <laughs> things, democracy, or these kind of things, of course. Anyway, um, for this kind of practical, getting consensus James at the beginning of, of a technical world, I believe it can be done by, for instance, I'm thinking of something like, uh, like uh, uh, illustrated dictionaries for children. When uh, uh, children have to learn uh, a language, uh, you know, there are pictures uh, and there are annotations on the pictures, this is mom, this is... Uh, this is the, ch uh, the, the table, uh, this is uh, the bottle is on the table, this kind of visual things. Uh, I believe uh, uh, also I have um, presented some, uh, some uh, proposals in uh, anchoring, anchor ultimately grounding ontological uh, um, choices uh, in, on the basis of, uh, of uh, of uh, situations which are visualized uh, somehow by means of, uh, of uh, multimedia documents. I don't know if this uh, answers the question, but this, is, uh, this could be uh, uh, some, uh, some um, pers perspective for future research, in my opinion. Following up on that for just a second, do you feel that this is still something where uh, research is the only progress that we're going to be able to make? Uh, sorry, I uh, repeated. I was saying, do you feel that we're currently in a state where research is the only progress we can reasonably make? No, do no, no. Feel of that course, there are no, no, no. This, this is, let's say, this is the, the kind of perspective I have. Uh, I have. Uh, mentioned too is the, the radical, um, let's say. But of course there are beautiful things which uh, already work uh, uh, now, like, uh, like uh, this uh, collaborative tool and so on. There are already the, the very axiomatization activity helps in, 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 in uh, letting people uh, clarify what their assumptions are. For instance, uh, there are communities, take the mathematicians uh, or, uh, or uh, you know, other technical communities, uh, 
maybe they, they can, uh, they can uh, talk each other. A Chinese mathematician can talk with, uh, with uh, um, uh, let's say, European mathematician because they share some... Uh, some uh Please note that your conference will expire in... 10 minutes. Anyway, the discussion will be long. Maybe we should move to the next question. Yes, uh, Martin Hepp. Yeah, this is Martin Hepp from Derry University of Innsbruck. Um, my question is pretty much related, and it is we are talking about very subtle distinctions, and if we want to, to commit to such an ontology, this, to my understanding, can happen two ways. First, the ontology users believe the ontology builders that the representation of the um, flags their own the representation and checking whether it matches our view of the world. Now, if we have such subtle instances, my question is, um, do you, is there any way of um, helping people validate that when committing to an ontology, uh, we are losing you uh, at various points, Martin? I, I only... Uh, technically or intellectually? <laughs> no, no, uh, technically. Uh, uh, I I'll try again. Haven't been able to I don't hear you. Um, hello? Yes. Yes. Can you repeat speaking into the microphone? Yeah, I re repeat the question. We're talking about very subtle distinctions. The problem is that in ontology, they, in my opinion, need to review where the own or is Now, aren't we running into a problem that uh, I'm sorry, your question is broken into. I only listened to some fragments of your. Uh, there is some technical problem. Okay. Okay. I will uh, post it later over the uh, email mailing list. That makes yes. more sense. Yes, that, that would be yes, nice. Yes, please. Yes. Leo, uh, you had a question. Uh, yes, uh, Nicolo. Uh, this is just your last point about hardness. Uh, what would you say to those who say that uh, uh, really ontologies are too hard and costly? Um, you need uh, you need such uh, specialized uh, people to construct these. That the reusability is limited, and uh, hence they, you know, they want to retract to kind of local database semantics. Well, I, I, I said uh, I insist on the point that the ontologies are hard, but uh, once uh, you invest the, the new energy, the results uh, are tremendously reusable. For instance, I, Dolce, this kind of work is actually being used by many people I, I even don't know, and, uh, and um, I believe uh, the, the result of this, of this, uh, of this um, effort pays, and also I would say that even a tiny progress in this respect, in clarifying some hard ontological issues, uh, pays off pays off independently. It's a kind of cumulative process. If, if for instance, somebody clarifies the, um, the difference between 3D and 4D, 
the, this is very difficult on the, on the practical, on the theoretical point of view, but once it's done, and once uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's motivated in terms, it's explained in terms of axioms and so on, people can, can make their own choice. I, I deeply believe that, uh, that uh, um, well, it is not a belief, it's a, it's a, it's a concrete uh, experience. Once we have clarified something, the result is really reusable. Of course, uh, if uh, ontology is just a matter of religion, uh, you know, uh, I believe in uh, 3D, you believe in 4D, of, of course it doesn't help. You, we, this is the reason why we need both axioms and, and uh, rigorous uh, um, logical development, and also we need uh, establish a kind of cumulative scientific process when people can able to cite the proper uh, papers uh, and so on, not reinventing their own uh, their own story all the way. Right. Uh, just to follow on to that, this is Leo again. Um, uh, we are we're trying to address this in a couple of communities we have on Ontolog. Please note that your conference will expire in five minutes. And and one of the issues that we always have in uh, in in any of these uh, uh, standard upper ontology discussions is, um, you know, uh, how much agreement do you need even among the specialists? And uh, is, uh, is the consensus um, sociological kind of uh, effort like this the, the best way to actually get, uh, you know, decisions made and anal analyses and decisions made um, and uh, adopted? In order to counterbalance the problems of, of, of establishing agreement, there is this idea of the, of the, of the library, of, by means of clarifying these ontological assumptions, the, the point is not so much to convince people to take option A or option B, but rather to be able to, to explore the consequences of option A in comparison with the consequences of option B. For instance, I tried to explain what does it mean to take a multiplicative approach and what does it mean to take a, 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 a unitary approach. The unitary approach may be, may be more useful for physicists, maybe, and the multiplicative approach can be more useful for, uh, cognitive, uh, for uh, common sense reasoning, and there are consequences, logical consequences, option A, option B. This is the kind of, uh, of, uh, of um, uh, picture I have in mind in order to uh, answer to this, uh, to this um, uh, question which uh, is uh, being asked us this is a known problem in a sense. The, the problem is adopt a scientific attitude and not a, a, and not something. Okay, thank you. Okay, on on that note, uh, maybe uh, on behalf of the entire community, let's thank uh, Dr. Nicola Guarino for spending time with us today 
to share his experience uh, in these very hard choices in building Doce. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. And, thank you. Uh, as Dr. Bobers mentioned, uh, Ontolog actually in conjunction with SciCorp and their working groups in ontological, oh, ontology and taxonomy coordination in the COSMO effort, as well as the uh, National Institute, Institute for Standards and Technology uh, are teaming up to put forth a, an event in March called the Upper Ontology Summit. Uh, by virtue of your presence here, uh, this is probably a topic you will be interested in, so stay tuned. And for those uh, corporate uh, people, we are also looking forward to get some uh, corporate uh, endorsements and sponsorships. And if there's, uh, if you could uh, get your organization to support this, uh, write Leo or myself. Again, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Gorino. And, uh, thank you. Thank great you. to have you with us. Thank you for hosting it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.